G'day guys. Thanks, Serena. Uh, I appreciate you reading those verses. Uh, a couple of things to say just before we jump into looking at these verses. First thing is, uh, as I'm speaking to you now, the verses aren't going to jump back up on the screen um, because it's really difficult to kind of manage doing all that at the same time. So if you have a Bible, it'd be really helpful if you can grab it. If you've got a couple of versions to choose from, I'll be reading from the NIV, the latest version. So take a sec, grab a Bible. Um, the other thing to say is while we're on Zoom, we don't all want to be sitting here for an hour and a half. Uh, and so for the sake of timing and things, we're actually only going to look at verses 18 to 30. There's a lot of wonderful stuff in 31 to 39. It would have been great to explore those with you, but as is, we're not going to get through everything we have. So it's going to be a bit more shorter, a bit more focused, hopefully. Don't hold me to that. The last thing to say is uh, one of the biggest disappointments about not being able to meet together um, is that we don't get to see each other. We don't get to uh, see how each other uh, is reacting to uh, the songs when we're really encouraged and moved by them or how the Bible reading has hit us and stuff. So I want to encourage you, if you're up for it, it'd be really great for you to turn your video on. I'm not going to make you, I'm not going to force you. You don't have to, but it is encouraging for us. You might be concerned that there might be chaos in the background and things like that. Um, can I tell you, we're not concerned about the chaos in the background. We just want to see your faces. Uh, so if you, if you feel comfortable, we'd love to see your faces, uh, but you don't have to. How about I pray and we'll jump into these verses. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for these verses, which are some of the most wonderful verses we find in the Bible. Thank you that you have uh, spoken to us and told us how much you love us and shown us how much you love us on the cross. Father, I pray that now as we meet together as best we can online, that you would prepare our minds and our hearts to be shaped and transformed by your word so that we might become more like your son. Help us to, in the chaos of being in our own lounge rooms and offices, be uh, focused, be discerning, ready to hear and accept the truth, ready to uh, refute error, uh, also that we might know you more and grow more like Jesus. Amen. Well, I've been stuck at home all week, like all of you. And one of the things I do when I'm stuck at home is waste time doing Google searches. Uh, and as I was preparing the sermon, uh, uh, one of the things that came to me is what, what do people want to achieve with their life? What, what do people want to achieve? Uh, and so I obviously typed that into Google. I wanted to hear uh, as many different responses as I could. Uh, the typical ones were there and they're all like pretty vague, pretty airy fairy, stuff like family harmony, mindset balance, social responsibility, things like that, which you kind of understand, but they're, they're quite vague. There's this one guy who was the exact opposite. He had listed 101 goals for his life. Uh, and th this was a guy, he wasn't a young guy, he's probably mid fifties. Uh, so he had had a lot of life behind him and he still had 101 goals to achieve. He wanted to visit 16 different countries that he hadn't visited yet. He'd already been to 50 different countries. He wanted to visit nine amazing places. He wanted to go on 25 different adventures. He had a further 59 personal goals. And one of them, this is my favorite one because I think it's just so outlandish. 
He wanted to receive a $1 million advance on a book deal. That's a big goal. He, he was very, he knew exactly what he wanted to achieve in his life. He knew the exact purpose of his life, achieve those things. There was, there was another one that stood out to me. It was a young lady, a lady in her mid twenties. Uh, and she listed 10 things, not 101, I think a bit more containable. Uh, but l- let me read them out for you. She wanted to write a book. She wanted to have a fancy kitchen. She wanted to move abroad. She wanted to feel good about her body, have financial freedom to be more minimal, to read all the classics, always in capitals, give back in a big way, care less about trivial things and be recognised for something great. And and I think at times we can identify with some of those goals. Like some of those things are nice to do. They're they're good things to go for and achieve. But as, as I was reflecting on them, I just thought for them to be your life goals just feels a bit, small doesn't it 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 just feels like there's not much there like maybe achieve something big with your life is is kind of the biggest one there but have a fancy kitchen is that what you want to achieve with your life go on some adventures is that what you want to achieve with your life I, i i know i want to achieve something bigger than that i don't want something so small i want to i want to be a part of some real change there was, there was no revolutions in there. There was no change in the world. That's, that's what I want to see with my life. Why were all these lists so small? In Romans 8, the passage that we're in today, we see God's plans for our lives, and they are not small. God's plans for us are bigger than we could ever possibly imagine. In fact, Romans 8 says that for those who trust in Jesus, God has burdened us with a glorious purpose. Don't know if there's any Loki fans out there. That's what Loki loves to say. This part of Romans 8 that we're about to get into shows us that God has given us a glorious purpose. Let let me show you. So Romans 8, verse 28. Grab a Bible, have it in front of you. I'm going to keep coming back to it. Romans 8, verse 28. I'll read to verse 30. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Do you see it there in verse 28? God's big plans for us. And there's much more in there than we have time to go through today. But but in verse 28, it says, God has called you according to his purpose. He unpacks that purpose in verse 29. God has chosen followers of Jesus before the world even began. He chose them to be conformed to the image of his son, to be transformed, to be like his son, Jesus. That's what God's purpose for us. That's God's big plan for our life. That's what he wants us to achieve in our life is to become more and more like his son, Jesus. But we're not alone in this. God does the work in us. And so today, as we look at these verses, I'm going to show you three things. What God has done, what God will do, and what God is doing now. And then we're going to jump in and think about how this uh, shapes how we live and think about ourselves now. Let's get straight into it. My first point is all about what God has done. 
This is a short one. We're going to move through this one pretty quick. What has God done? God has begun his work of salvation in us. You see, for those who trust in Jesus, God has started his work of salvation. We see this all through Romans. We've been going through it this year. Uh, So Romans 3.22, Paul writes, righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. And verse 24 of the same chapter, all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God has given us the right status that Jesus has earned. That's what he means. We've been justified. We've been given righteousness. We have the right standing before God that Jesus earned. And so now there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. We saw that in Romans 8.1. And it's why in verse 30 of chapter 8, Paul writes, those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. God has called us through the preaching of the gospel and he has justified us. He's given us a right standing with him. He's restored our relationship with this. And in this way, he has saved us. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God has begun his work of salvation by removing the condemnation that we are owed for sin. And so like we saw in chapter six and chapter seven, uh, the power of sin has no hold in our lives anymore. We're free, we're free from sin, even though we still battle the flesh in our lives. But God has given us his spirit so that we might fight sin. We are saved. But that work of salvation has only begun. It hasn't been completed. And so that brings me to my second point. What will God do? What will God do? Well, our salvation hasn't reached its fulfillment yet. It hasn't reached its perfection yet. It's not yet complete. And you see that in verse 22. So again, grab your Bibles, Romans 8, verse 22. I'll read to verse 24. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, we are saved. Verse 24 speaks like our salvation is ahead of us. It's in this hope we are saved. Verse 24 goes on to say, we don't hope for what we already have. No, we hope for what is yet to come. It's in this hope that we're saved. What is left to be done with our salvation? What is not yet complete about it? Well, verse 19 says the creation is waiting for the glory of the children of God to be revealed. We're waiting for our glory to be revealed. Verse 23, we're waiting for our adoption to sonship. We're waiting for the redemption of our bodies. Verse 29, we're waiting to be conformed into the image of the son. In other words, what will God do? God will transform us into the image of his son. That's the second point. God will transform us into the image of his son. But how can the Bible talk about us already being saved, yet not yet saved? How can we have already been saved, yet it not be finished? Well, think of it like Tabasco sauce. I love Tabasco sauce. Super tasty. I only discovered it a few years ago. Jess doesn't like hot and spicy food, but I like hot and spicy food. And so the compromise is hot sauce. 
You know, she will uh, have her not spicy food and I'll get out a hot sauce and put it on. And Tabasco, it's a classic. Uh, like, you know, if you go to a restaurant, they've always got Tabasco on the table. It's like the hot sauce that everyone starts with. But did you know uh, Tabasco, how it's made, is actually really simple. What they do is they hand pick all the chilies. They mush them up and mix salt into them until there's like this chili salt mushy paste. And then they fill up these big wooden barrels. Think like big wine barrels. They fill them up to the top with this paste. They put the lid on, they wheel it to a warehouse, and then they just leave it there for three years. And I saw this video where they're touring through the warehouse. There's this one warehouse and any Tabasco you've ever had in your life has been in this warehouse. And there's just these rows and rows and rows of wooden barrels. And there's like cobwebs between them all because they've been there for so long. And the, and the guy who's given the tour is like, I like the cobwebs because the spiders keep all the bugs out and stuff and it's, and it's good for them. For three years, the Tabasco sauce sits in a barrel untouched. The farmers have begun the process of making it. They've mushed the chilies, they've added the salt, they've mixed it together, but they let it sit. They let it wait. That what's in those barrels will be Tabasco one day, but it is not there yet. The work isn't complete. So we're waiting for the days where the barrels will be opened and the process is complete and you get your little Tabasco thing and I can put it on my dinner and things like that. And that's like us. We're all waiting for the day for our salvation to be complete and for ourselves to be perfected, to be glorified. God has begun this work. God has given us his spirit as a guarantee. It says in verse 22 and 23, we have the first fruits of the spirit, but we're waiting for our adoption. Did, did you notice that? We have been adopted, but verse 23, we're waiting for our adoption. Verse 19 says, let me read it for you. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. We have been adopted, but our status as children of God is yet to be revealed to everyone. And we have been redeemed. We've been set free from the power of sin and death. Yet verse 23 says we await the redemption of our bodies. And the redemption of our bodies... Caught up in that is the idea that our bodies will be transformed. We'll be given new glorious bodies. Do you remember the flesh that Haran was talking about last week? That kind of animal instinct, the sin nature in us. When our bodies are redeemed, that is destroyed. It is wiped out. And our bodies will be made new, will be transformed, will be like our resurrected Lord Jesus. We are redeemed from the power of sin and death yet we wait for our bodies to be redeemed and transformed. The work of salvation, it is behind us and it is ahead of us. It is both. And so that's why Paul can write in verse 24 and 25, for in this hope we are saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they have already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. We wait patiently and we wait eagerly for the transformation of our bodies, for us to be made like Jesus, our Lord. So what has God done? God has saved us. What is God going to do? God is going to save us. He'll transform us. But here's the thing about us and about Tabasco, right? While we're waiting, something is happening now. And so this is my third point. 
What has God done? What will God do? What is God doing now? You see, when Tabasco sits in the barrel for three years, it's not just killing time. It's not just chilling out. It's actually going through a process of fermentation. It's losing all this moisture at the top. It's developing these really delicious flavours. It's being slowly transformed into its final product. And while we're waiting for our salvation to be complete, we're not just killing time. We're not just waiting around. We're also being transformed more and more into our final state. And so come back to verse 28. Come back to verse 28 with me. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. God works all things for the good of those who love him. And there's so many things in just that sentence that is amazing. God works. God is actively at work right now, not just sitting there waiting to send Jesus back. He's working right now on us. And and he's not just working some things. No, he's working all things, good and bad, pandemic, unemployment, suffering, pain, all things. He is working for our good but not what we might consider to be good. You know, God isn't working all things for our pleasure or for our financial benefit or for whatever we might think is for our good. No, no, he's told us what is good for us and it's to be transformed, to be made like Jesus. That's what verse 29 is talking about. And so God's working all things right now so that we might become more and more like his son, Jesus. God is now making us like Jesus. He's moving us towards our final state. This side of the resurrection, we won't ever fully be there, but he's making us more and more like Jesus. God is growing us to be like his son through the good and bad things, through the painful and joyful, through the easy and the hard. God works all things in our life to make us more like Jesus, whether we know it or not. God is transforming us to be more like Jesus. And this is exactly what's happening when we say, oh, God taught me patience during that time. Or God taught me to rely on him or God exposed my sinfulness. As we reflect on how God's worked, that's God transforming us. That's God using all things to show, to to make us more like his son. You know, I can even recognize this over the past 18 months. You know, we've had the, the first lot of shutdowns where we couldn't meet at church. And then uh, we come back and we've lost a lot of momentum and ministry is difficult and it's hard. And there's all these other things to worry about. And over the last 18 months, God has taught me that Jesus is the Lord of the church, that God is sovereign and that I can trust him with the church. I can see how God has made me more like his son by having a right view of reality. And Sometimes we don't know how God's growing us, but we have a promise. The promise of verse 28 is that God is growing us. Even if we don't know how, even if we can't see it, God is growing us to be more like his son, Jesus. And then one day when God sends Jesus to return, when the resurrection happens, that work will be complete. We will be redeemed in our bodies. We'll be adopted as sons. And so then, How does this 
glorious purpose shape our lives now? How does knowing the end and knowing the process we're going through to get there, how does that shape our lives now? Well, there's, there's a bunch of things. I could stay here all day just sharing different ways that this helps us uh, shape how we live and how we think and how we act and how we relate. But I'm going to give you one. I'll give you one today for the sake of time, but I think this is a really important one. One thing that knowing this does is it inoculates us against the lies of the world. There's a particular lie that has, uh, that the world has been telling us for a, for a while now, but is particularly insidious and particularly prevalent. The lie the world says is, you need to be your authentic self. You need to be who you are. Don't change for someone else, but be true to you. That is a really, really dangerous lie. What the world really means when it says that is your feelings are true. You should act according to them. You should follow your passions and your dreams. Don't change your desires for the sake of others. But the real problem there is, is sin. The person the world wants me to be is just my sinful self. It would be to let sin reign in my life. If I was my authentic self, the way the world defines it, I would just be a sinner. So the world's view of self, of who we are, it's just way too small for God's purpose for us. Oftentimes the world reduces our ideas about self to sexuality and gender, or maybe one of a few other categories, but these are the big ones. You are your sexuality, you are your gender. And so I am a hetero male. That's how the world sees me. But if I don't feel like a hetero male, then that can't be truly who I am. It, it, even if it's despite the physical reality or the natural order, if I don't feel that way, I need to be true to my authentic self and myself is my sexuality and my gender. The problem is this just leads people to be confused and to be hurt. We don't know what's true because we want to affirm someone's feelings, but that I might not feel the same way. How can I affirm your feelings and my feelings when they're two different feelings? When reality is one thing and I don't know what you're feeling. But God provides the answer in Romans 8. God gives us the way to be our true self. It's not to give in to our sinful self. It's not to reduce our sense of self to sexuality or gender or race or whatever it might be. God gives us the answer to this by saying, don't be your authentic self, be who I'm transforming you to be. God is making us into someone new. God sets us free from this lie. He doesn't let us live in the squalor of our own sin. God has purposed us to be made into the image of his son, not to give ourselves back over to sin, to fleshly thinking. And so here, what I really want you to go away today thinking is I should not be my authentic self the way the world defines it I shouldn't I shouldn't give in to my own sinful desires and my own feelings which are fickle and which change moment to moment day to day minute to minute instead I should be who God is making me to be I should live out my glorious purpose right now I should be striving to become more and more and more like my Lord and Savior Jesus that's who I'm going to be for all eternity. I want to head there even right now. And so let's 
go back to the initial question. What do you want to achieve in your life? Do you want to read all the classics? Do you want a fulfilling family life? Do you want to travel the globe? Do you want to embrace your authentic self? Some of those things are good things in and of themselves, but they can't be the totality of what we want for our lives. God has a far better glorious purpose for you. He chose you before the world even began. He's making you like his son now. One day he'll bring that work to completion. God's purpose for you is far greater than you could ever have imagined if he didn't reveal it to you. So be who God is making you to be. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this glorious purpose. Thank you that you have chosen us before the world began to be made like your son, Jesus. Father, help us to see at times where you are transforming us. Help us to be self-reflective, to, to know when you're doing that. But even if we can't see it, Father, help us to trust in your promise. You are making us like your son, Jesus. You will perfect us one day. And so, Father, now help us to live out that purpose. Help us to become more and more like your son, Jesus, not to be our authentic self the way the world sees it, but to be the person you are making us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we're going to continue to celebrate the work God is doing in us through song. We're going to uh, sing together One My Heart. And, and this song is so helpful because it talks about in all the seeming chaos of life that there is, actually God is near the whole time. And so we want to follow God and we want to live out our glorious purpose in him. So let's sing together. <laughs>